Have you ever wanted to be bold, to be brave, speak up, take a new path in life, but you wish you had someone to walk beside you? This is A Voice of Her Own, a podcast about our journey to agency, authority, and action. Each week, you'll get inspiration, actionable practices, and support from me and from brave women of all kinds, walking their own path and telling their own stories. I'm Diva. I'm a trauma-informed coach and a doctoral student in psychology. So I know a few things about seeking an authentic life, but I'm still learning too. So join me as we support, encourage, and inspire each other. This is a podcast about showing up. This is a voice of her own. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of A Voice of Her Own. I'm your host, Diva Davison. And this week I had the opportunity to talk with equine guided education coach, Holly Scalione. I've known Holly and worked with her for about five years and she is an absolutely delightful person. She is someone who everyone that she comes in contact with loves her. I really think that she is one of the few people I've met that can make a friend anywhere, any place, and continue that friendship over time and space. So Holly holds a master's degree in social work. She has over 20 years experience in service and leadership in the health and so- social services field, including starting founding nonprofits and teaching in the social work graduate program at Humboldt State University, which is now known as Cal Poly Humboldt. She has been taught from and moved by the spirit of the horse for as long as she can remember. She's an equine guided education certified coach and a heart math practitioner. And she serves on the board of directors for Weaving Earth Center for Relational Education. And as a founder, educator, and guide at Spirit Horse Education, Holly works at the intersection of somatics, experiential learning, and collective liberation, all guided by her deep relationship with horses, nature, and herself. So as you know, I always love to pull a quote out of the conversation. And my criteria for that is usually what quote will give me goosebumps. And in this case, the quote that jumped out at me was when Holly was talking about the turning point for her where she realized that she could no longer go on in the working world as she had been. And at that point, Holly said she realized that her value could not be determined by anyone other than herself. And she said, I will not source my value from anyone outside myself. Such a powerful statement from a very powerful woman. I loved every minute of my conversation with her. We went over so many topics and honestly, we could have talked for hours, but I really wanted to focus on Holly's journey from being someone who was employed and validated by outside systems to someone who is on a journey to be her own authority, 
find her own place in the world and really find her deep knowingness within herself. So in this conversation, Holly and I talk about the lifelong intergenerational path of embodied liberation and how Holly is working with that in her equine guided education practice. We talked about individual coaching versus collective liberation. That was a really interesting take for me. I had some eye-opening thoughts um, from Holly We talked about the work of recognizing the white supremacy and oppressive systems that live in the body and what we can do to work through that. We talked about the healing power of horses and how horses always know when you're faking it. And we talked about how faking it, urgency, and perfectionism are some of the manifestations of white supremacy culture that we don't even notice because we it surrounds us because the culture surrounds us. So we talked about how being real is a radical act. We talked about the ongoing work of developing authority versus your own authority versus external validation. That's like a thematic thing in these conversations. I feel like that's a big part of what we're talking about on a larger scale here in this podcast. Really there was a little bit of discussion about how external validation, there's almost a codependency with it and how we can become incredibly needy in that area and what it takes to wean ourselves off of that. One of the best parts of this conversation was Holly describing the moment when she knew she could no longer participate in outsourcing her worth. And that led us to talking about how hearing our own voice clearly is really crucial to our own evolution. And we examined the stories we tell ourselves, and we talked about the one question that you really need to ask yourself. The last part of it, our takeaway, was great. We talked about modeling the feel of embodied non-action reciprocity, and we defined that through somatic work with horses. That's a really intriguing concept. And we talked about how that actually falls into our own lives. Like how, how do we explore that? What is it? Why is it useful? And finally, we talked about heart math practices and tools to measure heart rate variance and coherence and why that's useful and how Holly uses that in her practice with horses, but also in her everyday life. So the takeaway from this episode, which I thought was brilliant, is a simple but powerful heart mouth breathing technique that Holly led us through. I hope you enjoy this episode. I could talk to Holly for hours and I think you'll feel the same way. So without further ado, my wonderful conversation with Holly Scalione. So good morning, Holly. Welcome to A Voice of Her Own. I'm so happy that you're here with me today. I know we've had to, it's been a journey just to get this scheduled, actually. Um, so yes. I'm so glad that we made it happen. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation. Yeah, at the time of this recording, we've had something like 200 earthquakes, two massive storms, flooding, trees down, I mean, it's been a journey the last two weeks, so um, hopefully the electricity will stay on today, and uh, yeah, we can get to talking about uh, your journey to your own authority. So this podcast is about a woman's 
journey towards agency, authority, and action. I know that you have investigated and are currently uh, doing all three. Um, what I specifically was looking at in terms of having you come on the, the podcast is that I think you've done a remarkable, uh, a, a walked a remarkable path in terms of coming to your own authority in the work that you do. And so before we get into your bio, which I would like you to do next, I first want to ask you my favorite question to ask guests in the beginning. Instead of saying, oh, what do you do? I like to ask, what's alive for you? What are you excited about right now? Oh, what a juicy question. Um, wow, what's alive for me right now? I mean, <clears throat> I think for me right this moment is as I look out my window, um, as you said in the beginning, you know, it's really stormy here. And I'm just really getting to um, ground into the land here. Um, I just recently moved into um, a property and uh, it's my first time really being able to be responsible and steward a piece of land on my own and <clears throat> with my family. And so I think that really feels alive to me right now, like the, the land itself and um, my curiosity about it and my um, willingness to like want to have a relationship with it. So, and it's just budding. It's like the beginning of a new romance or something. Um, yeah. So it feels really alive to me right now. And I'm excited. I mean, these storms, I know we need the rain, but um, I'm excited for some dry weather so I can really um, spend some time competing with the land. So, yeah. Yeah, it's like you're getting to know it, at just beginning in the seasons and seeing it in a new way. This is the first winter you've spent there, yeah? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. First winter. And it's been filled with earthquakes and floods and storms <laughs> and oh. all of it. And so, yeah, it's just reminds me of Mother Nature and how intense she is. And, and you know, it's just kind of the natural way of things. But, um, yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of having a relationship like like you're just beginning the dating process with this this entity that is the land. Yeah, definitely. And there's so much to learn, you know, from that relationship and it's going to be all kinds of different things. So, we don't know what it's going to be. It's going to it holds a lot of mystery, which is exciting. Nice. I love that. So, for people who don't know you, I know quite a lot of people in our community do, but for people on the larger uh, stage who don't know who you are, or what you do, can you give me a short bio and give me a little background and and what you're up to right now? Yeah. So, um, I currently am uh, an equine assisted um, or equine guided uh, coach, and that's the business that I have currently. Um, <clears throat> and I've been um, doing that work for probably about. 10 or 15 years um, and just recently opened my own business doing that um, in 2021. Um, and previous to that, I was, uh, I've been working in the social services field um, for probably 25 or 30 years. Um, that's always been my career as a social worker and I've moved through different roles in mental health and uh, substance use and homelessness and, um, all kinds of different iterations in that world and in a nonprofit world for many years. Um, I also was teaching at the unit, local university here, um, Cal Poly Humboldt for about seven years. And I know we'll get into this later, but uh, eventually um, 
left that role, those primary social work roles and ended up opening my own business. Um, I'm also a mom of two uh, kiddos that are awesome, um, 12 and 10. And um, I am married and uh, live on Weot land, which is in Northern California. And um, I'm a heart math practitioner. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of other pieces to me, but that's generally it. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that you have within the social work field, I guess we'll say that as a broader field. I know that you have done a lot of work around um, access, around inclusivity, around racial equity. And I know that one piece that you've been really exploring is what you term embodied liberation, and it might not be your term, but I wonder if you could explain what that is and explain how that that piece became such a large piece of the work that you do and what you spend your time and energy on. Yeah, um, that's such a great question. Um, I think, well, I, I, first of all, I, I'll say that like the journey to to embodiment and, and to liberation really is, is a lifelong intergenerational path, right? So. Um, it's, it's a journey that I'm on and I'm committed to. Um, and I am, you know, just to be out when you can't see me. So I'm a white cisgender, um, woman. And, um, you know, I think my journey to understanding myself in my body and, and who I am, my identity and, um, my family's identity has been a journey <laughs> and, um, I know like when I was younger, I didn't have a lot of connection to that and I didn't really understand um, my identity in that way. And so um, when I started my path as an activist, when I was, you know, in my twenties or I guess even in my teens, I was just this like raging, roaring, you know, like down with the system, <laughs> um, <laughs> I love you know, that. just we all? it all down, you know? Yeah, yeah totally. Um, and that felt really good because I was full of rage right? For many reasons that I see now. Um, and it, it felt like the right thing to do. And I remember a lot of people saying, well, you know, like, yes, there's a place for that. Absolutely. We need to burn the system down. It's not working for most people. Right. But, um, but there's also a piece of, of you that needs to be in that there's, there's your own soul and your own source and your own ability to, to have self-awareness or, you know, self-actualization, all those things. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> um, whatever. And so I just didn't understand that piece for so long. And, um, and I think, you know, even now, like with the fact that I'm, you know, labeling myself as a coach, uh, quote unquote, a coach, um, I don't particularly, I've never really been a big fan of the coaching industry because I always felt like it was too individually focused, right? Like, mm, um, that's so interesting. Yeah. Just coming from that whole perspective of like social justice and, um, and a field that's really dedicated to collective action and liberation. Right. I didn't really, I wasn't interested in doing work on an individual level. I didn't under, I didn't see the point oh, really. That, that is <laughs> fascinating to me because that's not where I thought you were going to go when you said, I'm not sure about the labeling myself as a coach because I were a similar generation. We're both Gen X and, and I was raised to believe the personal is the political. So it never, it never occurred to me because I didn't, I didn't start out as a social work person, although I did start out as an activist. Like I was, 
going to protests. I think my mom and my older female relatives took me to protests from the time I was three. I remember protesting the white train and other things. And Oh my God, I bet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, so the activism part I got, but it never occurred to me. And I think that's such an interesting point. Like it, the problem that I see in the coaching industry or in the self-actualization or self-help or even therapy industry is that fascination with one's own self to the detriment of remembering that there are other people's liberation bound up with yours. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And and I think that was that quote, I think it's by Leela Watson or something, it was an Aboriginal activist that she said something just like that, right? And that's one of my favorite quotes is like, if you came come here to help me, you're wasting your time something like that. But if you right. believe that your liberation is bound up with mine, then let's work together, you know, like, let's right. do this. And so, yeah, well, absolutely. Like it's and I, yeah, it's real. It. And, and I think one of the things that I, I've been bulking at that for a long time. And then I, when I, once I started this embodiment journey, and again, I'm still on it. So um, I realized that our individual liberation from our own conditioning, our own, um, just our own aliveness, our own understanding of our embodiment and our alignment to our truth and our sovereignty are really critical to the liberation of our world, exactly what you said. And that I don't think we can have effective social movements without grounded, regulated, self-actualized people to create right. and sustain them, right? So I think that's where I came into like understanding that, oh, I actually need to value myself and my body and like understand that before I can like lend my fire to the movement. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really that's a really profound place to be. And I do think that it's it's a relationship, right? I mean, there's a relationship between how you show up as yourself in relation to other people doing the work. That's that's like sort yes. of the key of it. Yeah. And exactly. I, I know that um, previously, and I think that this is still sometimes true, um, before you decided that you were going to use the word coach, you were using the word educator. And I love that. And it's funny to me because I started out using the word coach and now I've added the word educator. Oh, how and funny. <laughs> just not, yeah. Um, but having a piece as an educator is something that you've been doing for a long time, right? You started out teaching social work at community college and then moved to Cal Poly. Is that, is yeah. that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. And, and I, I never have, I never saw myself as a teacher until I kind of became one. Um, and, and then it, that was also a journey obviously to embody that piece of it. Um, but it was so much fun. I loved teaching. I loved it. And I, I grew into myself as an educator and be able to like, was able to eventually value myself as an educator. And I do, I like that you brought this up because I do believe that part of my work is educating and learning. Just being on the path of learning is so freeing to me and so exciting. And um, and so I'm always I always view myself as a learner, and then I like to pass that on to other people. And so so yeah, so so that's really what this embodied liberation like course or group that I'm working on right now is really what that is. It's like bringing my own journey with other folks. Um, in a way that we can all sort of collectively process our white supremacy and our implicit racism and bias and all of these things that we have that live inside of our bodies, that live inside of our cultures. And how do we like work through those together as white people um, 
and be able to free ourselves from that eventually, right? That's the goal. Right. Um, and the horses are so, so amazing at bringing that to us and allowing us to see that in ways that I believe I could never have seen without them. So yeah, it's, it's really exciting work and I'm doing it and learning it as much as I am facilitating it. So just to clarify, so the, so you've worked in racial equity and worked on embodied liberation for a long time, but you recently, like within the last year, started an actual equine assisted group to work with the horses and to work on the piece of embodied liberation. So tell me a little bit, let's back up for a minute. Tell me, and we'll come back to this because this is exciting to me, but tell me how did you first what was your first introduction to the field of equine assisted growth and learning or equine facilitated psychotherapy or equine guided education? I know these are all different terms for what is basically horse human work together. Mm-hmm, right. Um, how did you come to that and, and what was your introduction? Yeah. Um, well, that's a great question. I, I feel like there's so much to say about that. I think um, when I, you know, I've been a social worker, like I said, for many years and um, helping people and healing the world and doing social justice work was was what I always kind of wanted to do and was doing. But I also always loved horses. Um, I've been in love with horses since I was a little girl. Like I was just a little horse girl. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I still feel like I am in many ways. And so, um, you know, I, I grew up wasn't, you know, our family wasn't able to afford to buy a horse, but I took riding lessons and I just spent time at stables and I just soaked up every piece of horses and the smell and the hay and everything that I could. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's just those, those two loves have always been part of me. And so I went into social work and actually first went into equine assisted um, or equine uh, science. And I was majoring that for a while, but that didn't work out well. And I I realized that wasn't my path. So I ended up in social work, but I never lost that love of horses and that um, desire to be around them. But at some point, I, I don't know how I kind of just fell upon um, equine assisted uh, growth and learning work through EGALA, um, the Equine Assisted Growth and Learning Association. And um, they're sort of an international equine therapy, you know, organization, and they train folks and they do um, all kinds of work in that field. And so I, I stumbled upon them, and I was like, "Wait, what? You can <laughs> right. you can use horses to help <laughs> people heal and grow and learn." And I was blown away, like hundred percent blown away, and I could not even fathom. I think I knew it as a deep truth. Like we all know, mm-hmm. if we're mm-hmm. horse people, we know how healing they are. I'd never put that into words. I'd never put that into an actual expression. And so to learn about that was just, I was floored. So I just, I was addicted. I just went to every training I possibly could. I learned as much as I could about this work and I just kind of threw myself in and um, eventually found my path into sort of more of a niche of, there's many different paths of this work. You can go into, um, there's just different niches of this type of work. And Mm so I eventually found my path into the equine guided education, um, which is where sort of the work that I do now. But um, yeah, but it it was fascinating to me and it was so incredible to think about horses healing people and healing the world. So yeah, yeah, I'm still inspired by it. Um, So I'll come back to the, you starting the the business of doing this, but I'm interested in, can you give, a listener who knows nothing about this work, 
a little idea of what happens in your embodied liberation groups when you work with horses, because I think I, I, I personally am an equine assisted coach, as you know, so I have a pretty good grasp on what people do in um, equine assisted growth and learning and equine facilitated psychotherapy. But the piece of bringing the embodied liberation to it is such genius. I, I don't want to get stuck on it, but I am really interested. Like, what does that group look like? What is it? If somebody were to come to that group, what would it be like for them? Yeah. Um, well, I will say, I'll give you a little flavor of like the kind of things that I've been putting together, but I definitely will say that it's a work in progress and it's kind of growing and evolving mm. um, as I do it. Um, I actually took this last year, I took a group of just my friends that were white activists and I was like, hey, you guys want to try this? You know, let's <laughs> let's put all yeah. this stuff together that we've been doing and and bring it to the horses and see how it works. So really, it's it's um, it's kind of an experimental um, thing for me, and I'm um, I'm really excited about it. And so, what I've been doing is just pulling from, um, you know, working in academia for so many years and everything. I I definitely want to have research backing what I'm doing. So I'm pulling from all kinds of folks that I've studied with or studied under theoretical perspectives um, and bring kind of just mashing it all together into a soup um, and then bringing all kinds of uh, embodiment practices and um, somatic practices and then pulling also the thread of equine assisted work and kind of, you know, um, stewing all of that together. Mm -hmm. um, and really what it looks like in action is um, it's messy and it's, <laughs> you never know where it's going to go because we always, you know, you, as you know, when we work with horses, we just never know what turns it's going to take and which is makes the work exciting. But I think, you know, mostly what we've been trying to do is take pieces of our understanding of what, um, like how we embody white supremacy, like unconsciously, right? Like those ways that we do it, like, um, you know, urgency or, um, right. perfectionism, right? Like, um, uh, yes. you know, all of those relationships that we have with the world that is, has, we've swallowed because we were swimming in a white supremacist sea. And so even if we don't believe we are, even if we don't feel like we're, you know, we have supremacy, we have that in our bones and our bodies because it's in, it's in the water we swim in. So, so we've just really been like taking pieces of that and exploring that with the horses in real time and trying mm. to figure out how, does that, that quality manifest in myself and how do I embody it or how do I um, just acknowledge that it's there, um, mm. right? Like it's difficult yeah. to release that completely, right? So I'm not asking people to do that, but just kind of acknowledging and seeing how it shows up and where it causes harm to yourself, where it causes harm to other people. And the horses kind of, you know, when we bring it to the horses, the horses really are able to show us like, um, you know, when that comes up and how it affects them. And so um, mm. and I always do it with a group of people. So there's other people around as well who can also reflect how that's coming up. And so, so far, that's kind of um, one of the pieces, at least we've been doing. And then we've been adding somatic practices in as well to kind of be able to yeah. ground into our somas and our bodies and, and the earth and, and, and take root in that for support and doing this really difficult work. I mean, one of the things that just pops into my head about that is I call it fronting. I don't know if that's an actual, you know, useful term to people, but that practice that I think is a very white 
supremacist practice of always putting a good face on and always editing and and oh, always yeah. bringing a a polished appropriateness appropriate gesture and appropriate way of speaking and i think that that is something that's a very um profound thing with horses is that they they really get when you're fronting they yes. really get when you're faking it and i think white supremacy encourages us to fake it all the time in yes. so many ways oh that's so good and it's so true and like as you know working with horses there's no faking anything Right. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, you could try, you but being called out. You should not come to this work. If you don't want to be right. called out, don't show up because you're by a get horse. Exactly. Right. right. Yeah. So <laughs> honestly, I mean, absolutely. That's true. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the piece that is always amazing to clients when I work with them and, and they're like, oh, like, so I just, I don't need to be happy or um, right. positive or whatever when I'm with the horses I just need to be real right. and I'm like yeah it doesn't it's okay if you're angry it's okay if you're sad you just need to be authentic to how you actually feel like and I that's mean, what the horses will bring being real is a radical act 100 being real is a radical act I wish yeah. that that were something that I could put on a big billboard because yes. I feel that that's one of the key components of actually of liberation and that I think is a good transition because one of the things I want to talk about is how you came. So when I met you, you had, um, I would say, a upper level managerial role at a very large nonprofit working in healthcare, and it came with a lot of responsibility. It came with a lot of status. It came with a lot of, you know, it was kind of a, a perfect job for the career path that you had been on bringing in all of these different things that you've done and I and that's where I met you and then you know uh two or three years I might be three years into the mission maybe it was four but then you actually made a choice that that wasn't the fulfillment of your work in the world and I'm really interested because that involves the idea of your own authority as opposed to this external validation where you get all the pets and all the pats and people recognize right. you and you have the title and you get the money so can you tell me a little bit about how that happened for you i mean i know that's a long that's a long journey but maybe you could give me some idea of what that internal process was to come to the place of saying you know i know what's best for me and it's not this yeah yeah uh what a great question um and, you know, as much as, you know, I like to tear down like supremacy and capitalism and heteropatriarchy, it's like those systems are designed to be sexy and suck us in and validate us. And they do. Right. So like it's easy to um, become, you know, seduced by those ways. And so I wouldn't say that I was seduced by them, but I definitely feel like I was, um, you know, I, I was I was growing my career. I was teaching at the time that I ended up working for this healthcare nonprofit that you know the job that you were talking about, and I was pretty happy teaching. I was doing it part time. I was raising my children, and um, I basically was recruited for this job. I, the my boss at the time, the director of the program, called me and said, "Hey, I have I have your um, name, I've been referred your name, you know, by a bunch of people saying that you might be interested in this role, you know, would you be interested in starting this, like, you know, 
basically it was at a healthcare organization starting a department um, for a social work department. So there was a few case managers that worked at this healthcare organization and they were really looking to start a whole department um, that was going to you know, grow and flourish doing uh, social, social work and case management in a healthcare setting. And so I, after a long time, I deliberated, but I said, yeah, let's, I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna jump back into the full-time working world, which I hadn't been in since before I had my children. Oh, geez. So it was a really big <laughs> jump for me. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was huge because I had been teaching for yeah eight or nine years part-time while I was raising my children. I mean, the first teaching job I had was like pumping in the closet, like in between right. classes, you know? Oh, um, such a feminine image right there. It's oh like, my God. <laughs> yeah. It was so real. Okay, it is time for the shout out. The shout out is something that I am excited about that I recommend. It is a person, place, thing, idea, or product that I want to share with you because I think it's great. Um, sometimes it is an affiliate link. Most of the time it's not. Most of the time it's just me being enthused and thinking maybe you will get uh, some enjoyment out of it as well. So this week I want to talk about Hungry Root. I know that especially during the pandemic, the, um, the field of grocery delivery service and meal delivery service and recipe delivery service just exploded. And I was actually using these services oh gosh, like five years ago, um, I've tried a whole bunch of them, mainly because my partner doesn't know how to cook. I don't think he would agree with that statement, but I'm going to tell you straight up, that's true. It's truth. Hashtag truth. So I thought, well, gosh, um, maybe if we get some of these cool recipe delivering services, then it'll be easy. He can just follow the recipe cards and that it didn't work because if you don't know how to cook, you can't learn it out of a box. That just doesn't happen. It just ends up taking a really long time and everybody's frustrated. So we kind of put that on the shelf. We had tried a bunch of them. And when I got into grad school, I quickly realized that it was a whole different ballgame from my undergrad work, my time, the amount of energy it required. And also because I work and I have a business, um, it was just too much. So I told my partner, hey, like we have to figure something out. I cannot be the primary person doing all of the cooking, all the recipe choosing, all of the grocery list making, all of the prep, like even just the mental energy to try to figure out what we were going to have for dinner was just killing me. I was over it. So we found Hungry Root, and one of the reasons that I chose it is because I'm super picky about ingredients. They have to be really high quality. I want them to be organic, free range. I want them to come from a reputable source. I don't want to have any cruelty involved in my in my eating, if at all possible. That's how I try to source things. We have a CSA that we get every year. Like We care about it. It's important to me, and Hungry Root had the best quality ingredients. So Anyway, we picked a plan and I will say it took us a little while to like figure out what we liked and what we didn't like and how it all worked, um, but we love it. We have been getting Hungry Root every week for several years now and the beauty of it is the quality of the ingredients are great. It's really easy to 
find things. You can buy groceries on top of recipes or you can just pick recipes and they'll send you all the groceries. I like to combine it. I probably get four recipes and then I'll choose some extra groceries so I can mix things up. But one of the things that made Hungry Root stand out for me is that there's always enough for leftovers. And I am, I date a man. So leftovers are kind of a necessity. Like he, he eats twice as much as I do. And so anyway, we've loved it. It's been great. I think it's really worth trying. It's really easy to pause. It's a subscription-based service, but it's really easy to pause or cancel. So I highly recommend it. And I do have a referral code to get $50 off your first delivery. And that is a code that's over on uh, the show notes for this episode at www.avoiceofherown.com. In the show notes, find the referral code, put it in, and I believe you get $50 off your first delivery. And, you know, as a grad student, I'm going to tell you, I'm not spending a ton of money on this. It's not expensive for the quality of food that you get. So anyway, that's my recommendation. And that is the shout out. So, so yeah, so I, after a long deliberation, I was like, yeah, and I, I'd li- also like to make some money, you know, <laughs> um, teaching. I don't know if anyone knows, but you don't make any <laughs> money teaching, even in the university system. Right. So, um, so anyway, so that's kind of how I fell into that role. And then, um, and then I, I dove in and I did it and I, and it was fun and I learned a ton and it was really hard and all of that happened. And then the pandemic hit. Mm. Um, which I feel like is such a like that should be like the title of everyone's book. And then the pandemic hit. Oh my god. And and (laughs) just a side note, I just came back from um a holiday travel and you know, several people in my family have COVID and I feel like we're all acting like, oh, the pandemic's over, it's all over. That's right. We're gonna be dealing with the after effects of this for years to come, mentally, physically, socially. It's like yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're not we're not over this, folks. Like this is not this is not over in any by any sense of the imagination. And I understand that people want to move on, but yeah, it's part of our lives. And so it was it it I mean, I was working in healthcare during the pandemic, which you know, everybody that lived through this pandemic knows that in healthcare was really, really challenging. Um, an understatement, brutal, I think is the correct word. <laughs> brutal. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Hundred percent, and so, and and I mean, again, like you know, deference to doctors and nurses, and you know, folks that were directly dealing with patient care. That's that's a whole, you know, that's a whole uh, brutal brutality in itself. But, you know, I was working in uh, administration and healthcare, and that was its own had its own brutal force mm-hmm. to it. And so, everything changed um, in the way that I did my work and the way that the organization was run. And so um, things, you know, we, we adapted, but it got really hard Um, and it just kept getting harder. Um, And it was, um, it was, I think now looking back, I can see that it was less and less fulfilling um, as, as time went on and and it wore on the pandemic wore on and um, trying to keep my staff. At one point, I think I had a staff of like, I don't know, 30 some people. And I was just, I felt so responsible for them. I wanted them to be happy. I wanted them to be healthy in their, you know, work world. And um, it, w- it was impossible to help, to help people do that because it was just such mm-hmm. a struggle. This whole pandemic was such a struggle, personal, professional for everyone. Mm-hmm. But I will say that there was a moment 
I think there was a moment, I would like to remember it as a moment of like turning for me. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, I was in a meeting and, you know, Zoom meetings were my life at that time. Um, you know, <laughs> nine, 10 hours of Zoom meetings a day. Oh right. Um, and I was in a meeting with like, a, a, it was someone who was high up in the organization, um, a C-suite level of folks. And they, um, they were talking about how we need to change. And, you know, we're, we were just constantly trying to figure out how to change and adapt to this new COVID protocols and everything. And one of the things that was suggested was that we, uh, we kind of, I don't know what the word was, but just like scrap uh, the social work case managers or change them into nurse case managers or do something basically completely negating and abdicating my whole team Three, and everything that they've done. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And wow. I was like, yeah, I was shocked. I had to turn my screen off because I think I probably s- screamed some cuss words. Um, <laughs> Turned quite red. Yeah, exactly. And I just, I remember just feeling so unseen, unappreciated. I felt it was so unjust. How could these folks at the top not even care, not even see the good work that our my team is doing? Like all of my people, all of my staff, like, their blood, sweat, and tears are in this work. Like they work with these clients that, you know, mm. are in, have these dire needs every day and help them and change their lives. And how could these people not see that and not care about that and not know that that's valuable? And so I just got kind of a righteous indignation. And I was just like, this is, this is not okay. And I remember at that very moment, I remember kind of screaming, like, I will not source my value from anyone outside myself. Mm, I'm done. Beautiful. Can I can't say do that? this anymore. Say that one more time. Yeah. I will not source my value from anyone outside myself. Oh, I love that. I thought yeah. that, that is so brilliant because that really comes down to the, one of the things that I just am really deeply, I, I don't want to say wrestling because that sounds like it's a struggle, but it really investigating and trying to find is where is my external validation neediness? Where is my, yes. you know, my, my codependency with external validation and how do I support myself to really validate myself? And, and how do I sit with the discomfort of validating myself when other people are saying, no, that's stupid. You shouldn't do that. You're going to regret it. You know, these right. things where you're like, no, actually, this is the first time I can hear my own voice. Yes. Oh, yeah. I just got chills. That's beautiful. And that's why I love that you're doing this podcast. Like, I think that this voice that we're searching for is so critical to our mm-hmm. own evolution, our own healing, the healing of our lineages, like the healing of our world. And if we can't figure out how to do that, and again, like we're not always going to be completely self-reliant. We don't want that either. We want to be, you know, dependent on, you know, we co-regulate with other people and other animals, like that's important. But to be able to figure out how to source your own value yeah. from within yourself and with fr- not from without is, oh my gosh. And, and I'll say, I mean, I, I said that at the time and, and I will say that I still, that's still my mantra. Like I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. Right. In, in a very real way in my relationships and my work world and everything. And so, yeah, I don't know the answer, but I do know that it's a worthwhile endeavor yeah. to try. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put in here because I'll put it in the show notes, all the, the things that we talk about. But 
um, the idea of it's not about being independent. It's not about being codependent. It's about being intra-dependent. Mm, um, and it makes me think of Dan Siegel's work, right? Dr. Dan Siegel and his, he yeah. calls it the MWE, M-W-E. Like it's, there's a, there's a me and a you, but there's a place where we both come fully ourselves. Mm, and then beautiful. we're able to really actually be intra-dependent on one another. Yes. Yes, so I love and that. that's so beautiful. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that's, you know, coming back to the work that that we're that we're both doing is, you know, the that's how nature works, right? Like that's how that's how the earth and you know and the animals work. They're right. they're interdependent. They don't you know they all depend on. There's an ecosystem. There's an ecology right. that is important. Um, you know and and it, it it doesn't it's not going to work without that and so how the question for me becomes like how do i how do i become interdependent without you know what crossing that line of you know like you said codependency and kind yeah. of like that neediness and it's of, a line that you know, moves right it's not there's 100%. no it's yeah. a shifting line depending on what each party needs what each right. you know because it's i wanted to say of course what each person needs but really when you put it into the bigger picture it's you know what each individual organism that's affected needs and I think um this yeah. is a good place to so when you had that feeling of like okay wait a minute what what's what's actually happening here what am I investing my my value and my energy and my time and my love in and then you came to thinking about um going into or opening your own business or going into equine work um equine therapeutic work full-time the person that you introduced me to is somebody who in this field sees it as not only our horses healing humans but because horses are healing humans then humans can heal the earth right and so right. that's a lineage that you're coming from so can you tell me how you got from being in that zoom meeting <laughs> with the <laughs> with the screen turned off and your face bright red yelling yeah. <laughs> <laughs> swear words um to deciding that you're actually going to do this as your your source of of income but also as your the place where you put your energy and your time yeah yeah um you know, again, I, I feel like I'm, you know, saying this a lot, but it's it's a it was a journey. And I think, you know, I probably stuck in there for a little bit longer after that, but I think something shifted. Something shifted in that moment. And I and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this mm. anymore. Um and and you know, at the time it feels so break like broken. And mm. then you realize later that you're like, Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> like, right. Thank whatever for that incredible like electric bolt of clarity reality. yeah right yeah um so I, now i'm just like oh thank thank goodness that 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 happened and so um yeah i think from there i was kind of what i realized when i did a lot of i was doing a lot of um like spiritual work a lot of work with the moon and the cycles and um i was doing a lot of i was uh, doing a lot of i had a great coach a couple coaches actually mm -hmm. that were really supportive to me um and uh meditation work and and i think i was really trying to figure out okay well if i can't do this then what's next and i remember uh, like a really uh, big part of this being able to make this work was 
realizing that I was telling myself a story and I wasn't conscious of the fact that I was telling myself a story until I was. <clears throat> and I kind of woke up into the story going, oh my gosh, I've been telling myself this, this story of I'm, I, I'm never going to be able to be successful or make money or anything doing this equine assisted work. I, I've always, right. I always kind of, my intuition was telling me that that's what I should do. All my friends were like, why don't you do this work? You've been doing this for other organizations and other people for years. Right. You love horses. You have the skills. Like everybody else around me was like, I see you as being able to be great at this. And I couldn't see that for myself. And I mm. told myself, I just realized how strongly that story was taking hold that, oh, you'll never make it. You'll never be able to do this. You'll never be able to make a career, a living or pay your bills. Right. Right. Um, Again, that's, that's sort of the, I mean, not that that is not a reality in terms of, obviously we all have to figure out a way that we're going to make our way in the world. But that piece of it is exactly what you were talking about in your, um, how do we, how do these systems reflect themselves internally? We take in these voices that tell us, oh, if you do that thing you love, you'll be poor. People won't respect you, you you know, and it it goes on and on. And it's curious to me to really ask ourselves, what stories are we telling and whose story is it? Right. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I love when we get to whose story is it, because it it really is the story of um, the modern very sick culture that we live in. I think you're absolutely right. And so when you wake up to that and go, okay, that was a story and I don't really know what could happen. Let's be honest. Like, I don't know, maybe I won't make money, but maybe I will. Maybe I won't be successful, but maybe I will. Or maybe I won't help anybody, but maybe I will. And so, I mean, I will tell you that it took all of my skills and everything to put that story on the back burner and take the leap of faith and see sure. if it could work. Super brave. Um, I'm still on it for sure. Right. Jury's still out. Well, right. no, but it's it, but honestly like the leap I know was right regardless of what happens because it freed me in so many ways and it's allowed me to really live much more authentically and truly to my my heart and soul's purpose and that sounds cheesy maybe but it's true and and it gives me this the work that I'm doing now gives me a level of reciprocity that I never really had doing social work. Like I I always was fed by the relationship I had with my clients and my staff or whoever, but this relationship with horses and with the natural world and, and doing this kind of work is just, it feeds my soul in a big way. And I didn't realize that that's what I was missing until I had it. And now I'm Mm. like, okay, that's how it feels. That's how it feels so good to do this work so it's feeding me it's not just depleting me yeah yeah Yeah. it's something that there's an actual energy um I, i i used to say when i worked doing massaging horses for a living people would say oh why don't you work on people and i'd say because people suck energy in a way that horses don't. And so for me, it was super yes. easy to work with them because they always gave exactly what you put in. They would just give it right back. And mm-hmm. and it's not to say that, they, that people can't do that. People can do that. However, people do that best when they have a model or a feel for it. And one mm-hmm. of the things about working with horses is that you get an embodied feel of what it means to be in a non-action reciprocity where you're literally your beings are just being together in it 
equal mm. movement back and forth. Mm. And that is not something that we get or, or, um, or at least not very often from other human beings. And right. so yes, that to me is like a place yeah. where we can really learn. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And that's so true. It's so, it, it, that's a really great way of explaining what it feels like to be with a horse or be in nature, right? Everybody can relate to that. Even if you don't have horses, it's like, you can just be the trees don't, don't judge you. The trees aren't saying you should have done this. You shouldn't have done that. Right. Like it's, it, you just get to be completely a hundred percent yourself and authentic and all of those words that we use. Right. But in the moment, you know, it's just really a really beautiful freeing um, place to be. And I think that allows that freedom allows us to really be able to know ourselves in deeper ways and be able to speak our truth and all the things that we want to do, you know? So, yeah. How does the, so you said that you're heart math certified and let me say that one more time, heart math certified and um, tell me a little bit about heart math, what it is, what that means, how you incorporate that into your practice. Yeah. So, um, so heart math is basically, uh, it's a science-based evidence-based system. Um, and there's been a lot of, there's probably been over, I think over 400 peer reviewed journal articles about it. Um, it's, it's a set of techniques, um, and, tools and it uses uh, what's called heart rate variability or HRV technology, um, which is the like your heart beats um, and your heart is naturally beats at in different intervals. So there's different spaces between your heartbeats and that is really healthy. And so it measures, uh, it uses that technology to measure um, your systems. And it really, it's a tool for self-regulation It helps build resilience. It kind of brings it brings what's what we call coherence, which is um, in biology kind of like, you know, a coherent system is like a right. system that's all working together, right? Um, there's a harmonious interconnectedness between parts. So it really helps bring sort of your body, mind and emotions into better alignment. So it's is it a form of biofeedback? Yes, okay. yeah, it's, it's okay. in that category, absolutely, yeah. Interesting, okay, and how, so, can you tell me a little bit about how that comes into the work that you do, or is that something that you use with clients when you're working with horses? Yeah, I mean, we, it's, it's a, it's a tool, right? So it's okay. one of the tools and um, it's something that maybe I would teach a client at some point and we might do a little bit of <clears throat> in the beginning of a session or at the end of a session to sort of integrate um, or even in the moment, if something is getting challenging or difficult and um, we need a little tool to bring us back into our breath or our body, um, okay. I'll bring it in and I'll teach people. The cool thing about heart math is like, it's really easy and you can do it at the dinner table sitting with your in-laws. Like you can do it any, <laughs> at, at, in the shower. You can do it anywhere and Helpful people don't even know what tip. you're doing. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, so it's cool. It's because it's just really accessible, easy, and there's just it's yeah, it can be accessible to anyone at any time. So, and it's, it's helpful. Um, it's a really helpful self-regulation tool. Cool. I wanted to talk about that just briefly. It's something that I'm interested in. Um, I am not heart math certified, but I will definitely link to it because I feel like, yeah, it's a very, I think, I think there are several people who are talking about different ways of kind of learning how to regulate yourself. And again, just like we were saying with learning what it feels like to be, it's very important to find out what does it feel like to be coherent? How do you know if you're coherent? 
Right. How do you know how to get back to being coherent? All of these regulation things sound great, but unless somebody has some actual a, a baseline, then they don't know. You mm-hmm. know, a, a lot of us are working in what um, what somatic experiencing calls, you know, the faux window of tolerance, right? So we're right. we're saying that we're coherent, but if we were to actually use a tool that showed us what was happening in our own bodies, our bodies would tell us, hey, friend, Mm -hmm. (laughs) what you're doing right now is not actually working for you. You've just learned how to fake it really well. Oh, gosh. Isn't that real? Yeah. And and we do. And sometimes we need to fake it because we have to like survive in the world. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, I, I love that. And that's why I, I kind of radiated toward heart math because I felt like it has, like I have an actual tool that I can put on my body and it can measure my um, HRV, my heart rate variability. And it can tell me as I practice the breathing, it can tell me if I'm in coherence or not. And when I fall out of coherence and how, so I can, I can see it on this little, my little app and, and it really helps build your ability to know and feel when you're in coherence and when you're not in coherence. Um, And so it's really amazing. I remember learning about this and, and really, again, realizing that like our emotions affect our body, like more than our thoughts do, right? Like a lot of coaching is about like, oh, you think your way into your reality, which there's some truth to that, but it's also your emotions and your heart actually, some of the research that HeartMath has done, they've talked about how your heart sends more information to your brain than your brain does to your heart. Right. So to be able to really feel and live from your heart center um, is really powerful, you know, uh, tool to be able to influence your body and the bodies around you and the field, what they call the field, which is like the larger um, sense of space around us. So, yeah. And I think that that's something that I might want to talk about in one of my um, solo episodes is just we have this bias towards our cognitive capacity mm-hmm. as if we you know we're still working under these models like oh you're a computer and this is the hub of the computer and it's you know and that's all complete bullshit it's that's <laughs> not how it works right. and right. it's interesting that we we really feel like we need to have a lot of peer-reviewed journal articles to tell us what we intuitively know you intuitively <laughs> so know true. when you have a gut feeling you intuitively know when you experience heartbreak these are yes. not these are yes. terms that have a real actual wisdom behind them so anyway that's, that's right. something that i yeah. will definitely explore in a, a later episode because you know the cognitive thing just makes me kind of crazy well, it, yeah. it's not that it's not important but the way that we have we have sure. a bias towards it is i think a disservice to people it is a disservice and just i real quick i think on that on that note i i think that it's um Heart, one of the things that I learned when I was learning heart math is that your heart has an, an electromagnetic field that radiates about three feet out from your body. And it has information just like radio waves has information mm. and horses. God, that's so interesting. It's very interesting. Horses have a heart, obviously their heart is, is about four times larger than our heart and their electromagnetic field, their heart is even larger. And so it, it, creates a large field around them. And Mm. so I, I, a lot of the work we do with heart math is also kind of in training heart wisdom, you know, with the horse, because that's what, like you said, like without a bunch of peer reviewed journal articles, we know that's what we're doing when we're standing with a horse. It's like, there's some kind of information that's exchanged and it's not cerebral. It's not heady. It's something about your body. It's something about your heart. And so it's one of the things that I wonder about nature too. Like 
you know, when you see a bird, a flock of birds all of a sudden change direction, it's right. like, how are they communicating with each other and how right. the horses all of a sudden know when it's danger and time to run? Like those are right. the kind of information that are in these fields that we don't really know much about. That's, you know, it's really, it's really exciting. Or that we don't know. We don't know much about cognitively, but intuitively, yeah, intuitively we do we have know. that knowledge exactly. and probably yeah. somatically. I mean, how yes. often, and, and it goes back to one of the things that I, um, that I talk about on this podcast and that I'm interested in talking about more is the internal sense of safety. You know, mm -hmm. those, um, those fields and that somatic or intuitive information is part of what keeps us safe. And it's yes. something that we can actually practice and work on to access. It's not something out there. It's something that you in, inherently have. It's a, a resource that you right. inherently have that you can practice getting better at recognizing. Yes, yes, right. And, and, and anyone can do it. Right. Anyone and everyone can do it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I want to talk more about this because this is exciting. And I know you brought us a practice, so I'm excited about that. But before we do... I want to um, ask you, so your business is, tell me the name of your business. Tell me uh, what's where people can find you if they're wanting to learn more about what it is that you do and the groups that you offer and some of the yeah. things that you're excited about in the future. Yeah. So my business is called Spirit Horse Education, or SHE, <laughs> S -E, which I did on purpose. Um <laughs> But yeah, so Spirit Horse Education, you can find me on the web. I have a website, spirithorseeducation.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Spirit Horse Education on Instagram. And um, I have a, a link tree on Instagram that could, links to some of the different sites that I'm affiliated with um, and some of the different things that I'm doing. Um, but yeah, so you can find me on there. And some of the things that I'm doing... Um, Currently, right now, most of the work that I'm doing is is contractual work with nonprofits. Um, surprise, surprise! One of the things that right. <laughs> I to call after I quit my nonprofit world was a bunch of the nonprofits that I had made relationship with, and the students that I had mentored are all now in positions of power in, in the world. And so they came and said, "Hey, we would love to do this work." And so that's a lot of the work that I'm doing now. But as far as public offerings, um, I've been doing meditation circles once a month with the horses. Um, which are really powerful. And you've been a part of that. I'm so grateful mm -hmm. for that. And um, yeah, and the Embodied Liberation Group for white uh, anti-racist activist folks. Um, and I'm also doing some um, like preteen girls groups. Um, and I'm wanting to think about some other public offerings that I'm excited about in the future, like as the weather, you know, turns right. to spring and we have more daylight and less rain. Um, I'm going to be doing some more public offerings, probably some retreats, um, probably uh, working with some other healers and other uh, folks in this community here to do uh, offer some you know, multifaceted uh, day long or multi day long retreats and things like that. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, so reach yeah. out if you'd like to ask me anything or have questions or want to, yeah, want to okay. collaborate. Very cool. I will put all of that in the show notes spirithorseeducation.com is that yes. right yeah yeah great and i i it's pretty exciting i mean let's be honest it's the dead of winter as we record this it's literally been raining right. for my road <laughs> as we speak is flooded i cannot leave so my road it's is not flooded like, too yeah yeah yep. it's not like we can go out and do a bunch of retreats right now but right. um i do i am excited to see what you offer in the future because this 
this new um, land that you're stewarding has a lot of potential for those yes. kinds of things, right? That's part of the yes. part of the blossoming relationship is what's possible on that on that land. That's right. Yeah, and I'm really excited about that. We have a lot of possible, you know, possibility and um, a lot of mystery and a lot of exciting things to explore that we could host here and um, other ways to collaborate with the community to bring people mm -hmm. in. And so I'm just I'm really excited about it. Great. Yeah. So we'll, we'll keep up to date on what's going on and what you're offering. I do know that your meditation circles are something that people can, they can um, reserve, find the date, time, reserve yes. their spot, both on your website and through a link on your link tree on Instagram. So, and I feel like one's coming up very soon. Is that next week? Yeah, we do have one coming up soon okay. at some point i'm going to see how when the if the weather holds of course yeah. but um yeah we uh, right now i've been able to have them through the winter like knock on wood i guess but um it's on the third thursday of every month so it's january 19th is the next one and um it's at 3 30 p.m but yeah you can find more information on my website okay. or at my meetup and i will I will let everyone know if it's going to be canceled to what due to weather but hopefully yeah. it'll hold so okay well we'll see yeah. okay Yay. That's exciting. So yeah. um, just to wrap it up, I ask all of my guests to bring an actionable practice. And I read recently that I should be giving this a name since I do it at the end of every oh, segment, but yeah. I don't have a name for it. I just think it's the guest's actionable practice, which isn't really a very uh, <laughs> sexy name. Right, so right. if anybody wants to give me a better name for this, or if you think of one, let me know. Oh, that's a good assignment. Yeah. But um, yeah, so the idea is that uh, someone listening can take this practice out into the world and use it to move on their journey to, uh, to agency, to authority to action or to authenticity, which is a much used but still important word. And so what practice have you brought us, Holly? So now it's time for the takeaway. The takeaway is an actionable practice that you can take out in the world as you journey forward. It's something that could be, should be, hopefully will be of use to you. It's a practice. It's not something that, you know, maybe you're going to master right away, but possibly you could. It could be something that will really, even today, you could start and you'll see results from it, something that can help you on your journey. And today's takeaway is coming up. Yeah, so... Um... I am going to do some uh, heart math with you. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and one of the techniques or uh, tools, I guess I would say with heart math is called uh, heart focused breathing. And so again, this is something that you can practice or try um, anywhere, anytime. Um, and as you practice it more, um, it will get easier and you will get better at it. And um <clears throat> And it's really, it's been helpful for me and it, it, I, I use it probably every day. Um, wow, so I'll just okay. take you through it. Um, I love it. I'm yeah. ready. I'm, I'm ready to have a breathing practice because um, I tend to get on and off different great practice wagons where I'm like, oh, I do Pilates right. every day or, oh, I meditate every day. I currently um, am doing some journaling every day, but I don't have a breathing practice. So yeah, yeah. 
yeah, it's great. And and you can do it anytime. Like I said, you can do it when you first wake up or when you can't sleep in the middle of the night because you have racing thoughts or in the car or before some difficult conversation or a test or something that you have. So it really is just helpful in any okay. at any time. So yeah, hopefully this is helpful for people. So what I the first thing to do is just kind of get comfortable in wherever you're sitting or standing or lying or wherever you happen to be. Again, even if you're driving or whatever, you can still do this practice. So yeah, just settle into wherever you are and just kind of become aware of your body and just slowly start focusing your attention on in the area of your heart or your chest area. And just imagine that your breath is flowing in and out of your heart again, or your chest area. You're breathing maybe a little bit slower, a little deeper than usual. You can have your eyes open or closed, whatever feels comfortable. If you're driving, keep your eyes open. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Safety alert. <laughs> and just find an easy rhythm, an easy breathing rhythm that's comfortable for you. Again, maybe just a little slower and deeper than usual. Just breathing in and out of your heart or chest area. And you can just do that for a little bit and just practice and see how that feels for you as you do that. And if your mind wanders, that's okay. You can just bring it back into your heart just think of your breath easily flowing in and out of that space. And as you do that, make an attempt to experience what we call a regenerative feeling, like appreciation or care or gratitude or love. Could be for something or someone in your life. You could think of someone you feel grateful for. You could think of a time when you felt proud of yourself. You can imagine a place that you feel safe in. And just really make a sincere attempt to experience that feeling in your body as you breathe in and out of your heart or chest area. I definitely get a visceral feeling out of this practice. Oh, like good. I can, I what really, yeah, yeah. So it definitely feels expansive in that area. Okay. And, and almost at the beginning, it felt expansive. And now I would say almost even a little bit lighter. Okay. Like there's less constriction and that is making it feel more permeable. Mm. Ooh, that's mm. great. Yeah. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. And, and you know, it, I'm so glad that it felt good for you. And, and as, as I think people practice, or if you're in a difficult, challenging place in your life, um, it might be harder to do. Um, but as you practice, I, I promise you that it will get easier and it does bring for me, a lot of the same feelings of expansion and um, or calm or peacefulness or connection, you know, some of those feelings. And so those feelings will create that sense of coherence in your body um, and your physiology and your brain. And so um, it does a lot of, of healing to yourself to, to get into that coherent state, which is what you're in basically when you're, when you're in that heart focused breathing state. So, and yeah. I assume that you could do this with another person, but if you wanted to practice it with another being, you could also do it with your dog or your cat or your horse, right? I mean, like yes. you can really practice that interrelated sense of expansion and yes. good vibe. Yeah, for totally. lack of a better word, right? Because I, right. I immediately was like, I can't wait to do this with my dog. <laughs> yes, yes. You can do it with your, your pets, 100%, your your partner, your kids. I do it with my kids a lot to oh, you help do. them go I was fall ask asleep you. at night. Yeah. And, and the other thing about that, there's so many other techniques. So this was the 
the quick coherence technique, which is a quick, easy one, but there's mm -hmm. ones where you can radiate that. So you, we, we developed that feeling of, you know, care, concern, gratitude, love in ourselves just now, but you can radiate that out to other beings, to the world, to your partner, to someone who's going through surgery, whatever it is, you can radiate that out and um, influence the field around you or other people. So that's also another technique you can do. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, that just reminds me, one of my very favorite meditations that was a three minute meditation back when I was on the meditation wagon, which maybe I'll get back on again, but yeah. it ended with taking that feeling of generosity, you know, that feeling of generous, good mm. feeling and expanding it out through your neighborhood and then through your town or city mm. or borough and then out to the universe. And I can almost see incorporating this heart coherence breath work and then taking it because I could close my eyes and imagine in this meditation going to my neighbors and I know them and then spreading yes. out to the to the you know larger neighborhood that I don't know and so on and so forth and it always ended with me sort of looking out at planet earth and yeah and taking that feeling out there and I think that would be a wonderful way to take this if you, you know, were so inspired to take this breath work too. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I love that vision. I love how you did that. And yeah, you can do it that way. I mean, people that have trained with heart math have done this in, you know, war zones and mm. all kinds of places that have had collective trauma. Oh, and so, okay. it's, and the UN has a practice of heart math and sends teams to do this kind of work. So it's, it's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Wow. That's um, so, I did not yeah. know that. That is super yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you're onto something there. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much, Holly. I love this practice. Yeah, I am excited to I think I'm gonna take that into one of my daily things and get on the, the coherence breathwork bandwagon. Oh, for that's a while. so exciting. That's how that works. I yeah. love hearing that. And thank yeah. you. Thank you, everyone. And uh, for doing that with me. I appreciate that. Yeah, I hope it's yeah. helpful. It's been great. I'm conscious of the time. So I'm going to keep this uh, to right around an hour. But I feel like there's so many different things to to discuss with you. You've been such a great influence in my life. And it's always a pleasure talking with you. I always feel like I come away with a better understanding of how to take all of these qualities that we talk about and put them into action in the world. Oh, that's so kind. And I feel, thank you, Diva. Thank you so much. And it's been a, a pleasure to be a guest on your podcast. And I, I feel the same way about you. And I love, I love, here's to many more conversations like this throughout Absolutely. our lives together. Appreciate Absolutely. you. All right, friend. Hey, friends. Thank you again for joining me on A Voice of Her Own. I hope that this episode was useful, that it was inspiring that it sparked something in you that you can take out into the world. And if you want to hear more episodes or you want to sign up for our newsletter so you never miss one being released, head on over to www.avoiceofherown.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can get all the show notes. You can uh, get all the links to everything we talked about and any promotional things that I have going on. So again, thanks for joining us and take that out into the world and be your badass self. Mm -hmm.